Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad. I love hearing uh, all of the bubbling conversations. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm one of the elders here. And I'm going to be bringing our scripture reading uh, this morning for our message. Uh, and so if you wish to follow along in a physical Bible, uh, you can open. There's uh, blue ones at the end of the, uh, the row that you're seated on. And uh, as a shortcut, you can flip to page 472. We're going to be reading from Matthew 5, starting in verse 33 today. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Icon family, I'm pleased to be able to introduce to you today our preacher, Tony Silva. And uh, many of you would know that uh, the Genesis story for Icon Church is very closely connected with an amazing church planting organization called Orchard Group that's been around uh, like forever, uh, like I want to say 60, but I think I might have even read 75 years. Um, and uh, so they have been doing incredible work church planting all across the country. Uh, and Icon is uh, one of those uh, church planting stories. But uh, Tony is also intimately connected with the Orchard Group, having planted a couple of churches with the Orchard Group as well, and even been part of their uh, leadership for a period of time. Um, he is, uh, so he's uh, planted churches in uh, Massachusetts and in Pennsylvania. Uh, and that's been the majority of his ministry life uh, out in the Northeast. Uh, but very recently that changed. Uh, and in January, he came out and accepted a position with the Christian Evangelical Association, or CEA. And uh, the CEA has a mission to plant churches uh, in Washington State, Oregon, uh, Idaho, Alaska, and even those crazy Canucks up in British Columbia. Uh, so, uh, his wife, Stacy is, is here this morning, as, as, with, as is his mom. Uh, and he also has two uh, adult children. One's a rising senior at Ozark Christian College. Uh, and Tony was uh, proudly sharing about how, how she's doing internship work in Ventura, Calif at a church in Ventura, California this summer. Uh, and then his son is actually uh, in the family business, planting churches in Japan as part of the Mustard Seed Network. Uh, and if you uh, remember, um, uh, we uh, heard from Nick Parsons, who is also with Orchard Group. Uh, Nick was one of the founders of uh, the Mustard Seed Network, uh, and so lots of fantastic connections. So we're really thrilled to be able to welcome Tony here. Tony, so glad that uh, you're here this morning. Uh, you know, please come and, sh and share what God's put on your heart this morning. 
Uh, listening to uh, uh, my background makes me feel incredibly old. So uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. So um, uh, it's really good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I, I don't know any of you, but I have been praying for you since before ICON ever started. Um, being a part of the Orchard Group, part of the Board of Directors, when Justin had the idea of planting this church, we were part of a team that prayed for that leadership, prayed for things to get going. And so I kind of feel a little like I'm getting to meet people that I've heard of for a long time, okay? And I've been acquainted with your story and your, your kind of roller coaster here over the last couple of years. And I just want to say, um, you know, I work a lot with new churches, and I want to commend you for being just a very mature group of people, for being such a young church. Um, you've gone through some difficulties, and you've weathered that storm very well. And um, I, just, I just want to commend you for that. Um, you're, you have great leaders, great elders here at this church. Kala is fantastic. And uh, I just want to just, yeah, absolutely. So I just want to encourage you this morning that I think really highly of the work that's happening here. And I think God has some pretty amazing things in store for you in the future. All right? I just want you to know that. Um, again, it's great to be with you this morning. We're new to the Seattle area, my wife and I, and my mom, Darlene, who turned 90 just a, just a few weeks ago, is here this morning. And uh, we're excited to worship with you. When I got to visit with Kala and I got to visit with the elders about what I would share with you this morning, I, I really... You know, what do you share with a church that you've never met? Like, I don't know, what, what's the need that you need to hear this morning? And so I just prayed about it for a while. And I have, to, I have to share with you, there are two scriptures that have been on my mind for about a year and a half, two years, that just are there, okay? And uh, I, I go back to them, I wrestle with them. I think they're things that are really important to the body of Christ in the time that we live. And one of them is the passage you just heard this morning read to you before the message, and it's from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And you can't really go wrong with Jesus' sermon, I'm just ripping them off, that's what we're doing here this morning, okay? So this morning we're going to take a peek at a section from the Sermon on the Mount that is often referred to as the but statements, okay? It's an entire section where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said a long time ago. There's all these laws. You've heard this forever. This is what everyone believes. But I'm going to tell you something that might change your mind on some things. Things that you need to really think differently about. And there's all sorts of these but statements all over the New Testament. But in particular in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to confess to you this morning, I have a little junior high boy in me, so saying butt statements, I get a little giggle, and I often have referred to this as the section of the big butts of the Bible. Forgive me on that one. I'm, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot in the 90s. I can't get that out of my head, all right? And so I'm just going to confess to you this morning that every time I say it, I get a little giggle inside, okay? But here's where I'm going. This word but, one T, not two, all right? is one of the most important words in language. It's a transitionary word. It's a pretty amazing word. It can transition something from good to bad or from bad to good. It's got a lot of power. And no one used this word but in a bigger way than Jesus. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, and he'd rattle off some things, but I say actually you probably should think about this differently. 
Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, if someone does something to you, here's what you should do back to them. But I'm going to tell you there's a different way to handle it. And he does a lot of this. He says, you have to choose this. So there's real power in these types of transitionary statements. And so we're going to begin by taking a deeper dive into this uh, first section, this first but statement. And it can be kind of confusing. But I think we can get at what Jesus is probably talking about here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37 is where we're going to begin. Let me just read that to you again. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. This is the New International Version. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago. And every time Jesus says that, he's referring to a popular teaching, something everyone understood to be true, okay? Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. That seems pretty good. Doesn't seem like you got to change a whole lot there, Jesus. But, he says, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I know that to be true. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Again, you read that first section before the but, and you think, that sounds pretty good, right? Just... You know, be honest is what we're talking about here. But why does Jesus care so much about people swearing to heaven? Why does he care so much to, about swearing to earth or Jerusalem or, or the hairs on your head? You might be saying to yourself, I don't do any of those things, so this doesn't really pertain to me. I don't even listen to boys to men. All right, that's my last 90s music reference, okay? I'm not, I don't do this, so I don't really need to pay attention. Well, here's, here's the deal, and this is partly why it's been on my mind, and it'll make more sense here in just a second. Over the years, people have taken Jesus' teaching on this part of the Sermon on the Mount quite literally, okay? They've made it kind of a rule as to never take an oath at all of any kind. And so there are, there are groups of people around the world that will not go into the military, for instance, or testify in court or do anything that requires any type of oath-taking. But is that really what Jesus is saying? No, Jesus is actually showing us what living like him actually looks like. What he's doing is he's contrasting what the conventional wisdom was in that day, the law back in that day, and he's, he's kind of helping people to see what's wrong with the law that they have. You see, religious people in that day liked to make promises that they never really intended to keep, using oaths and legal jargon to kind of get around the truth, right? to try to kind of maneuver around, finding ways to get out of lies that they've told, but do so in a way that was legal and acceptable. Does that sound at all familiar to anything that could be going on in our world today? This is an epidemic in the United States. We're really good at spinning truth, aren't we? What Jesus is actually saying here is that if we are asked to do something, just simply say yes or no. Don't try to create an entire manipulative system to try and make people believe you when you are lying. You know who's really good at this? Children. Any parents in the room? Hey, uh, I need you to go clean your room. I need to, can I finish this video game? I promise, I promise I'm going to clean my room. 
they have no intention of cleaning their room, right? They're making promises they don't intend to keep. You know, it's amazing. Hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I swear on a stack of Bibles, right? Kids are amazing manipulators of the truth when they're trying to get their way, aren't they? But adults have mastered it. We have. We've mastered this, right? Every single culture has lying. That's why every single culture has some form of oath, oaths and promises that are made. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, said, oaths actually give evidence to lying. That's why we need oaths, because people aren't honest, so we have to come up with ways to prove that we're honest, and we've manipulated those. But as Christians, we shouldn't need oaths. We need to be the most trustworthy people on the planet. And when, 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 when I say that, it's, it's not so much because of just your character, it's because of who we represent. We represent Jesus himself. And you know, every time a public figure or a politician or you or I profess to be Christian and then swear to tell the truth but then turn around and manipulate that truth, it degrades the name of Jesus. And that is so disappointing. Not so much because people lie, but because of what it does to the name of Jesus. Truth manipulation is a big issue for us. And so what I want to ask you as we're kind of kicking things off here today, as followers of Jesus, to at the very least be committed to letting your yes be yes and letting your no be no. Just be truth tellers. Be honest. Don't try to manipulate people. Just shoot straight and do so in kindness. That should be a baseline, being a follower of Jesus, don't you think? Now, beyond the words that we say, as we continue this morning, these but statements go on to talk a lot about how we act, a lot of ways that we act and should act like Jesus. And let me just say, here's the problem with saying you're a Christian. Eventually, you'll have to start acting like Jesus, or no one will believe you. That's, what, that's, that's just so important for us to understand. We represent the king, all right? We can't be truth spinners. And so as we continue, I want to talk about this next but statement, this action, as we kind of dive into this a little further. This section is also very misunderstood and misapplied. In this section, Jesus is talking about turning the other cheek. And when we read this phrase, we can tend to think that Jesus is saying, if someone hits you, turn the cheek and let them hit you again. Is that what Jesus is saying here? I don't think that's really what he's meaning. So let's take a look. Beginning in the, uh, with the conventional wisdom of Jesus' day, Jesus goes on and he says, again in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now let's stop there. Who would actually write something like that? That sounds incredibly barbaric, doesn't it? Sounds incredibly barbaric. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? We're just going at it. Actually, that comes from the Old Testament in the Bible. This is actually a law that was given by God to the Hebrew people as soon as they came out of slavery as they were wandering the desert. And it's found in Leviticus, it's found in Exodus, it's found in Deuteronomy, it's all over the place. 
And so when God gave this law, an eye for an eye, you have to remember the context. You have to remember who it was given to and when it was given to them. This, this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was gr- given to a group of people who had been slaves for over 100 years. And they'd never had their own laws and systems put in place. They never had any really f- a form of government to kind of uh, oversee the, the system. They didn't have any of that. And as a result, there was a lot of crazy stuff that people were doing to other people who had wronged them. So someone came over and they stole something from your house. We killed everyone in your family. It was that kind of thing, right? It wasn't really equitable. It wasn't very just. It was out of whack, right? So with this, God is teaching them if someone uh, is taking you for granted, if someone is doing something to you that is wrong, the punishment must fit the crime because God is equitable. He's a God of justice, And so God was putting in a safeguard to make sure that violence wouldn't escalate. Notice it's an eye for an eye, not an eye for a couple of eyes. It's a a tooth for a tooth, not a tooth for a mouthful of teeth, right? God knows something about human beings. He created us. He knows our propensity. He knows what we're prone to. He knows that if someone is to hurt us, we're going to want to retaliate and make it worse. We don't just want justice. As human beings, we often want revenge, don't we? We want to make people pay, and we want to hurt them worse than they hurt us. That's how we are as human beings. It can be our natural response. Let me prove this to you. I want you to go to the person next to you, sitting next to you to your left. I want you to pinch them on the arm. Go ahead and do that. All right. Now, if you don't know, oh, time out. If you don't know the person, don't pinch them, okay? This is how we cause problems, okay? So we're not going to do that. So if you know the person, pinch them on their arm. Okay, go ahead and do that. Now, if you just got pinched, I want you to turn to the person that just pinched you, and I want you to pinch them back equally as hard as they pinched you. Equally. All right, calm down. No, no fighting in the back, all right? It's causing problems, okay? Now, here's the deal with that. Some of you pinched the other person harder. You did. You might have even done it subconsciously. There's actual scientific studies on this particular thing of pinching someone or harming someone and someone wanting to do that worse in response, even if it's not at the forefront of your mind. So actual, I don't know why they did this research, this pinching research, but they did, all right? And this is who we are as human beings. We want to retaliate, don't we? We want to retaliate. Now, here's what just happened. We, 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 we kind of talked through this whole thing about retaliation. We talked about how it is. This is why this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was instituted, all right? Jesus comes along and he says, that's the mindset. This is the reason why it was always in place. It was for years and years and years, this idea. You've been trying to not allow violence to escalate, to run rampant, and there are rules that you've lived by, and this is a rule you've lived by. But, Jesus says, I want to change the way you're thinking about this. And then Jesus lays another but statement here. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, verse 39 continues, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
Now, I'm just going to say, uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah, right. That's not happening. <laughs> I'm not doing that. All right? That sounds good, Jesus, if you're writing a fortune cookie, but that doesn't make sense in real life. I'm not letting someone hit me again. It's not going to happen. Are you kidding me? Are we supposed to just let people beat us up, walk all over us? Does this mean that we should just be doormats as followers of Jesus? Is that what this is talking about? Is that what Jesus is saying here? No. This word resist in the original languages of the Bible is a military word for enemies that are marching out to stand against each other at war. Do not resist doesn't mean let them walk all over you. It means don't fight somebody like they are fighting you. It's a phrase recorded through the New Testament. Don't fight someone in the same way they are fighting you. Paul kind of says this in a clearer way. Do not repay evil with what? Evil, right? That's kind of what's being said here. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you don't just go into automatic carnal response. Don't just go into fight or flight like animals do. Don't, don't just run away and hide, right? But also don't seek revenge by trying to harm them worse than they harmed you. Instead, I want you to choose my way. It's a third way of doing things. And then he gives three examples of this third way. And the first is there on the screen. Jesus says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Again, this does not mean if someone punches you on one side of your face, you turn around and let them hit you on the other for matching black eyes. That's not what we're talking about. This doesn't have anything actually to do with punching or hitting in order to hurt somebody at all. The best translation of this word strike is the word slap. And it's referring to a backhanded slap, which is a way in that day and age of intimidating or insulting someone. It's an insult. Think Victorian era right? Got an aristocrat who's taking off his white glove and he's going to backhand hit you with it, right? Think that kind of a thing. It's an insult, all right? And here's how we know this. Jesus says here, right cheek. And we know this means a backhanded slap with the right hand because it's the only way in Jesus' day someone was able to slap someone on the right cheek. Because back then it was socially unacceptable to slap someone with their left hand. You'd bring great shame onto yourself. You'd be seen as a very low-class human being if you hit someone with your left hand. Back then, the right hand was considered the clean hand. This is true in a lot of different cultures today. The right hand is the clean hand. It's the hand you eat with. It's the hand you shake hands with. The left hand was considered unclean because it did other things, pre-Sharman kind of things, okay? And so to hit someone with it would not be okay, all right? That would be seen as a, as it would bring great shame onto you and your family, all right? If someone slapped you with their left hand, it would be shameful. That's how we know this is an example of a backhanded slap to insult or intimidate and not to injure. And this is really important because Jesus never said if someone is assaulting you physically, let them just keep doing it. And, you know, there's a few people in here today. And even in a, in a group this size, there could be someone in here that's involved in a, in a situation that's maybe some domestic violence going on in your life. And I want to say, I don't care how much they're manipulating scripture to help you understand that that's how it's supposed to work. It's not. And so if you're in that type of a scenario, 
you need to talk to someone. It's not okay. And don't allow the people who are doing that to you to continue to do that to you. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Jesus here in this situation is offering a third way when someone is insulting you. Turn the other cheek means the only way the person can slap you again is with their left hand, which they couldn't do without making themselves look worse, right? Jesus is saying don't clock them in the mouth, don't run away from them and hide. There's a third way to deal with this person. And the third way puts the ball back in their court in a way that's dignified. They have to wrestle with their next action. They have to either walk away uh, and, and de-escalate the situation or they're going to do something that's going to bring great shame to themselves. But they're going to have to choose. Jesus is asking us to respond in a creative way, a third way to conflict. Don't just do what everyone else in the world chooses to do. He uses another analogy to provide a third way out of conflict. Look at verse 40. If someone wants to sue you for a tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Again, in those days, most everybody wore two main garments. A tunic, it was like kind of an undershirt that people wore underneath. And the cloak was their outer garment, a robe, like a coat. And your cloak was what protected you from the elements. So there were rules against suing someone or taking somebody's cloak away from them. You couldn't really do that. Just like if a person were to declare bankruptcy today, you can't just take their house immediately. There's some rules in place. So Jesus is saying if somebody's greediness or meanness goes as far as taking you to court for your shirt, give him your cloak as well. And guess why? Because now you're standing there not wearing anything. You're naked before them. And in that culture, nakedness was not okay. It was shameful, not for the person that was naked, for the person that was looking upon the person who was naked. And this, again, would put the ball in that person's court. You're going to have to now figure out what you're going to do next. Right? Don't be a doormat. Don't retaliate and try to get revenge. Look for another way. Cause the other person to wrestle with their next choice. And Jesus gives another example. Verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now when Jesus says someone here, everyone on the side of the mountain that day understood who he was talking about. He was talking about a Roman soldier. In those days, there were, tank, there were no tanks or Humvees to drive around in as a soldier. You've got to walk everywhere. And we know from history, these packs that they carried around often could weigh as much as 80 pounds. And a soldier was able to require a civilian to carry their pack up to a mile. And you had to stop whatever you were doing. It was hugely inconvenient, often very demanding. Hey, you're working on something right there. I'm a soldier walking by. You've got to carry my pack one mile. You got to do it. You can't do anything else. So you got to pick up your pack, drop what you're doing, pick up the pack, walk a mile, set it down, go all the way back to where you were and start doing what you were doing again. It was horrible. It was demeaning is what it was. But there was also another law that you couldn't force them to walk more than a mile carrying your pack. I don't know all the reasons for that, but there was a law against that and it was important, so important that soldiers could be punished so they wouldn't allow that to happen. And so when Jesus says, go the second mile, he's saying, when you get to the one mile mark, just keep walking. And I want you to think about the genius of this. 
Think about what happens, the power shift that's taking place here. You keep going beyond that first mile, and all of a sudden, this big bully soldier, this tough guy with the sword and the shield that's wanting to take you down, has to now say, excuse me, please stop carrying my pack. Could you please put that down? It's kind of like the ultimate Taekwondo move, right? There's this subtle militancy in this idea, the social protest that's going on here. Jesus is saying, my people don't repay hurt for hurt, but my people are not doormats either. They They don't just let you run all over them. My people follow a different way. And so here in this section, Jesus gives four scenarios. The truth, a slap, a shirt, and a walk. And what Jesus is doing with this storytelling on the side of the mountain, he's calling anyone who wants to be a follower to be honest. He's calling them to creative, radical ways of responding to insults and hurts. Not because it's going to fix everything and turn everything around, but because we are his people. People who are supposed to live out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is asking us to live radically different lives than everyone else around around us. To go his way. We We aren't supposed to be like everyone else that are around us that either gets violent or becomes a doormat when we're insulted or taken advantage of. We're supposed to be different. And so the takeaway for you this morning is it's kind of simple. It's not really easy, but it's simple. When someone is insulting you or putting you down or taking advantage of you in some way, Jesus is asking you to respond honestly and creatively. He doesn't want you to be dishonest. He doesn't want you to be violent. He doesn't want you to be just overly passive. He doesn't want you to respond in any of those ways. He wants you to respond creatively. Respond in a way that addresses the situation without escalating it or making it worse. If you say you're a Christian, you should respond in a way that resembles Jesus. Not the culture that we live in that forces us into one box or the other. I heard a story on NPR a few years ago that really illustrates this in a, uh, you know, a much, much larger way. Okay, I'll just put it that way. A, a way you probably won't find yourself in. But I want you to listen to it. It's a story of a guy named Julio Diaz. I want you to check this out. So I get off the train, you know, I'm walking towards the stairs, and this young teenager uh, pulls out a knife. He wants my money, so I just gave him my wallet and told him, here you go. He starts to leave, and as he's walking away, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. So, you know, he's looking at me like, what's going on here, you know? And he asks me, well, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well... I don't know, man, if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, then I guess you must really need the money. I mean, all I wanted to do was go get dinner, and uh, if you really want to join me, hey, you're more than welcome. So I'm like, look, you can follow me if you want. You know, I just felt maybe he really needs help. 
So, you know, we go into the diner where I normally eat. We sit down in the booth and the manager comes by, the dishwashers come by, the waiters come by to say hi, you know. So the kid was like, man, but you know everybody here. Do you own this place? I'm like, no, I, I just eat here a lot. He's like, but you're even nice to the dishwasher. I'm like, well, haven't you been taught you should be nice to everybody? So he's like, yeah, but I didn't think people actually behaved that way. So I just asked him in the end, I'm like, you know, what is it that you want out of life? He just had almost a sad face. Either he couldn't answer me or he didn't want to. The bill came and I look at him and I'm like, look, uh, I guess you're going to have to pay for this bill because you have my money and I can't pay for this. So if you give me my wallet back, I'll gladly treat you. He didn't even think about it. He's like, yeah, okay, here you go. So I got my wallet back. And I gave, you know, I gave him $20 for it. You know, I figure uh, maybe it'll help him. I don't know. And when I gave him the $20, I asked him to give me something in return, which was his knife. And he gave it to me. You know, it's funny because when I told my mom about what happened, you know, no mom wants to hear this. But with her, she was like, well, you know, you're the type of kid that always someone asked you for the time. You gave them your watch. I don't know, I figure, you know, you treat people right, you ho- you can only hope that they treat you right. It's as simple as it gets in this complicated world. It's an extreme story. It's a powerful story. Uh, I'm not even sure that that's the right way to respond, to be honest with you. I think law enforcement would tell you, you probably don't do that. But that does sound like something Jesus would do, doesn't it? Just flip something around completely and give dignity and care to the person who's doing the wronging. Hmm. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in this week coming ahead for you. Who it is that are likely to offend you or insult you or manipulate you. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a family member. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a sibling. Who is it that's most likely to say something or do something that you find insulting or demeaning or hurtful? Who is it that you're stuck in patterns of either attacking them or just avoiding and running away. I want you to take a minute and kind of pick out who that might be in your life. Let's take a few seconds on this one. Now here's two things. The first one is that we need to remember that while we're thinking of someone right now, someone could very well be thinking of you. Just thought I should mention that. I think sometimes as Christians, we always put ourselves in the innocent party kind of place. And we need to remind ourselves we're just as capable of insulting and injuring and hurting other people. Because everybody does that to an extent. And so I was thinking of somebody just now. Somebody else could have very easily been thinking of me. And so maybe we need to make some changes with the way we treat other people. Remember, our words and our actions represent Jesus. 
And the truth is right now in America in particular, people who say they are Christians aren't representing Jesus very well. We just aren't. And Jesus wants us to be people who respond to hurtful things in ways that other people don't expect. In ways that make them wonder, what the heck is going on with that person? Why is that person so different? Why why are they so different than everybody else? This is about following Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't just talk about this third way as some hypothetical. Jesus actually lived it. We're going to prepare for communion here in just a little bit, but let me just share this with you. On the night before Jesus was killed, he stood in front of a group of people in a rather unlawful trial. It was a kangaroo court, all right? And he was given the opportunity to lie so that he could get out of the situation. But he wouldn't do it. Jesus was asked by Pilate who he was, and he could have just said a Jewish carpenter. It wouldn't have been a lie, but he didn't do that. He could have responded in a way that got him out of the whole execution, but instead he said, the reason I am here is to testify to the truth. I am who you say I am. Jesus was slapped by guards and he turned the other cheek. He could have let them have it. He could have stopped it at any point. But he didn't because he knew that there's this third way that no one else seemed to understand. Jesus was forced by soldiers to walk. He was forced to walk, not carrying an 80-pound pack, but a 100-pound cross that was going to be used to crucify him. He was stripped naked and his shirt and his cloak were taken away from him. And the Bible says that soldiers gambled for his clothes as he died. And again, the entire time, Jesus knew that there was this third way that he was playing out that no one understood yet. And it caused people to say, this Jesus is different. Caused the Roman soldier who was there to say, maybe I should follow this guy. Caused one of the thieves on the cross to say, I think, I think he's different. I want you to understand this third way was not just some hypothetical. Jesus lived it out. All three scenarios, the truth, a slap, a shirt, and a walk. And as a result... It changed the world in a way that no one saw coming and people still argue about today. Again, I don't know what scenarios are occurring in your lives right now, but if you want to flip them around, acting more like Jesus is the best way to go about that. And wouldn't it be great if we had a lot more acting like Jesus in our culture? So I want to end by praying for you, and then I want to ask you to just kind of ponder some things. Again, I have no idea what's going on in your lives, but maybe there's something that was shared here today that you can apply directly. And you may think it's not that big a deal. I think there are a lot of little things in this world that create a lot of really big things. And I think the little things we just touched on that seem so elementary, we should be teaching this to children. 
that we probably should pay more attention to. Can I pray for you? God, I'm so thankful for your word that um, that can be so simple and so complex at the same time. And Lord, um, I'm thankful for a Bible that we can read often, for years, and think we understand, but then are reminded how much we don't pay attention to. Thank you for pointing this out to me, as I can often be a person who responds pretty instantaneously. I want to pray for each individual here sitting here right now um, with whatever circumstance they're in, that whatever's going on, that they will find creative ways to look like your son Jesus and how they respond. Father God, as we take communion together, um, we are reminded of the death and the crucifixion of Jesus That's why we take it. But there's so much more going on here than just substitutionary atonement. Jesus was actually modeling for us how we're supposed to live. And in your word, it says that Christ suffered for us, that he was leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Help us to do that and have the courage and the honesty to be the kind of people you want us to be in a world that's so confused. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.